Okay, here to go through the Sunday papers is the uh, Social Democrat TD and Joint Leader Roisin Shortall, the Fianna Fáil candidate for Dublin Bay South and of course a barrister as well, Jim O'Callaghan and the NUI Galway Law Lecturer, uh, Larry Donnelly. Uh, you're all very welcome to the programme. Let's start, uh, Roisin Shortall, with that, that story, that act of defiance, James Riley. Um, you did a stormy enough relationship with James Riley yourself. <laughs> in the department. Right. He can be defiant, yeah. <laughs> um, what, what, I mean... Has Enda Kenny been backed into a corner? There's kind of two views on this. One is that Enda Kenny was backed into a corner because James Riley stood up to him and it was, he was backed up by the likes of Pascal Donoghue and uh, Francis Fitzgerald, who would be close allies of Enda Kenny. Or the other view is that uh, Kenny had this in the bag, basically. This was a way of neutering the issue for the general election. Which, which do you think? Well, Shane, the first thing I'd say about the papers generally and that story in particular is that <coughs> from now on up to the election in February, we need to really view everything with a large dose of scepticism. There's a huge amount of spin going on and very little analysis. So, you know, people who are under pressure politically for the election are going to try and promote themselves. And um, we're seeing this happening right across the Sunday papers today. Are you suggesting James Riley is looking at a seat in Dublin North? I was, yes, I am, actually, because uh, he's by no means certain there. He is under pressure in Dublin North. Um, And... This started last week, this story in relation to abortion, and I was somewhat surprised reading the Sunday Independent last Sunday. Um, After probably one of the worst weeks for James Riley, his uh, UHI health plan had Mm. been binned. Uh, Now, to be fair to him, the Sunday Independent was saying today, the interview was done a couple of weeks earlier. It was held over because of the Paris attacks, that he wasn't, the timing of it, uh, you know, you need to be cautious about the timing. Well, you know, yeah, I would tend to take a somewhat more cynical view of it than that. You know, this was a really, last week was a really bad week for James Riley. Uh, He should have been excoriated in the Sunday uh, papers. Uh, The government was left with no health policy at all. No plan. And suddenly, you know, the subject has changed and there's a full page interview with James Riley, which was, you know, very complimentary to him about him taking a different stand to, to his party leader on abortion. And that's carried through this week. Um, I viewed that last week as an attempt by James Riley and his advisers to change the subject really on this and to try and give him some positive publicity in his Dublin Maybe constituency. Maybe he just believes that this is an issue that should be addressed. Well it seemed very strange that it just came out of nowhere. I think this week now it has run out of control really. He did put pressure on the Taoiseach um, and I think that what is needed really from the media is some some more analysis of this rather than just who's fighting with who, who's trying to undermine who. Um, you know, we haven't had much leadership from the Taoiseach in relation to the abortion issue. Um, what do you think of the Citizens' Convention? Because I would have thought what the last thing this country needs is another Citizens' Convention. That would be my view, and that's a personal yeah. view. Now, you know, there's a couple of things I'd say about that. I think... it. Enda Kenny's position <coughs> had become untenable in relation to abortion. It couldn't be ignored and um, he had to take a stand on it before the election. Now, you know, again, a cynical view of this in terms of talking about a citizens' convention is that this is a way of Enda Kenny kicking the can down the road on the abortion issue and, uh, you know, dodging responsibility on it. I think it's important that some leadership is given on this issue. Um, you know, we can't change the current regime in the context of the existing constitutional 
provision yeah. in relation to well, abortion. What is this? What is the so social democrats? I do want to bring in the rest of the okay. panel, but uh, okay. just before we do, what is the social democrats? Our view democrats? is that we need to have a referendum. We would be in favour of repealing the eighth and, and legislating, legislating to provide for particular circumstances. And what are those circumstances? Now, you know. That, that referendum will only be carried if the legislation to replace it actually meets the middle ground view on it. Okay, and so traditionally, as we know, the abortion debate has been dominated by the two extremes. Okay, what is the middle so ground in I your think view? A, a reasonable situation would be obviously in relation to fatal fetal abnormality. I yeah. think the vast majority of people feel that you know it, the current situation is completely indefensible. Okay. I think there are other cir- circumstances where people generally I believe would feel that that people women should have access to abortion services certainly in the case of rape and incest in the case where it, of serious uh, threat to a woman's life and serious threat to her health I think those because people listening would say uh, particularly the last one the health of a mother yeah. that's effectively how abortion on demand in the UK came into being well you know the, the whole question of abortion is about balancing two sets of rights and there are a lot of circumstances to be taken into consideration where a woman's health is in serious jeopardy by continuing with a, a, a pregnancy. Well, we know what happens in and the UK. Well, I mean, the, a doctor signs off on it, but it is routine. Yes, obviously there have to there has to be safeguards, but that has to be a medical call at the end of the day. If there is a serious threat to a woman's health, and I don't think you know many people could stand over a situation where a woman would be required to proceed with a, a pregnancy in the case if that was to cause a serious threat to her health, a serious and significant threat. Okay. So you know that is a medical decision. I know you you, you don't buy James Riley on this, do you? Well, I, I don't really. I I think you know there's a certain amount of politicking going on in this and I think it may have got out mm. of control. Now, I mean, that doesn't... Well, sorry, just last, and I, 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 I do want to bring in, in the others. What do you think the Citizens' Convention, I would have thought that is the wrong forum for this. Yeah, well, look, we need some way of coming up with the legislation which will meet that, that middle ground. What, is that not what governments are for? Yes, civil but, servants? but the difficulty is that, you know, if you... Th- do a comparison, say, with the marriage equality referendum. I think if that had been left to politicians, we probably wouldn't have had a, a referendum because a lot of, of politicians run scared on this and have c- kept their head in the sand on it. So I think we need a mechanism. I'm not sure that the, the Citizens' Convention is the right one, okay. but I think we need a mechanism for public consultation. But that cannot be long-fingered. I think the key thing is that it, it should be time-limited. And the Taoiseach saying that he will set that up within six months I don't think that's sufficient. I think that should be, you know, there should be an earlier commitment to that and there should be a commitment that it will have, com- whatever the, the the procedure is or the forum is, that it will have finished its work within a six-month period. Because, you know, other than doing that, you can't help but thinking this is a way of, you know, okay. kicking it into the future. Jim O'Gallan. Well, I suppose, uh, like many Irish people, I'd nearly forgotten that James Riley uh, was a minister. He's one of the quietest ministers in the government. He had a fairly disastrous tenure in the Department of Health. He was sacked by the Taoiseach. After that, he was... Well, he wasn't sacked. He was moved to a different department. Well, 
whatever terminology you want to use, I'll use the terminology he was sacked effectively. He was seen by Fine Gael as being a very unpopular minister and he was obviously put under instructions afterwards to keep quiet. And James has now decided that the time for his quietness is over and he's come out and you know he's got significant coverage and respect of this issue over the past two weeks. I have to say, in my opinion, it's more about internal Fine Gael politics than anything else. Looking at, I think it was Jodie Corcoran's article or the article in the Sunday Times, there's obviously a concern on the part of James Riley that after the next election, if Fine Gael are back in government, that he may not be chosen as a minister by Enda Kenny. So I think a lot of this is quite cynical. Well, what, what's Fianna Fáil's view on this? Well, in fairness to Fianna Fáil, Michal Martin, when the matter came up in terms of the legislation in, the, in this stall, gave uh, Fianna Fáil TDs and the Rochdus members yeah, a no free choice vote. Because you're about four-fifths of the parliamentary party were going to vote, but, we're but going to vote fairness, against you. Can I just say this? Enda Kenny this week announces that he's going to give a free vote to uh, Fianna Gael or Rochdus members, and it's a presented as though this is a political masterstroke. In fairness, Michal Martin came out with this uh, over a year ago, he gave members of the Fianna Fáil yeah, Rock. Was it invention being the or necessity of being the, the, well, the you can mother say of invention? Not, it is or obviously it is. an extremely divisive uh, debate. People have very strong views in respect of it. I think it is an issue where uh, members of the Oireachtas should be given a free vote in respect of it. I think Michal Martin was right in providing that leadership uh, a number of uh, months ago, and I think that Taoiseach is probably correct now in giving members of Fine Gael uh, how a free does vote. It, uh, how, before, just before I bring in Larry Donnelly, how will this play politically in? in the electorate. I mean, a lot of people draw in comparisons with, say, the same-sex marriage referendum, but they're, <coughs> they're very different issues, aren't they? They are very different issues. Like in the, I campaigned strenuously in favour of uh, <coughs> single-sex marriage. I thought it was a right thing to do. And one of the arguments I always use is this is not doing any harm to any other person. You know, two people who are in love with each other are entitled does to Does that mean you married. take a different view on abortion? Well, I think it is fair to say that abortion does involve the rights of another individual, the unborn child. And, you know, I think it is a much more complicated matter than the um, gay marriage referendum. I think it's much more complicated than that. And it, there's an assumption as well that everyone who voted yes for marriage equality will in some way uh, be sort of pro-choice. That isn't the case. Everyone knows it's much more complicated than that. Larry Donald, yeah, I, I, think, patiently there. I think Jim is absolutely right. And I, I suppose I come at this from a little bit of a different angle in the sense that uh, I'm somebody who's been, uh, I suppose, trenchantly arguing against the way the whip system operates in this country for a, term, for a long time. And an issue like abortion, the quintessential issue of conscience, it should not be made. A party dictate shouldn't say to somebody how to vote. Individuals have their own free conscience. They should be able to exercise that freedom of conscience. It's too important to say that you have to vote a certain way. And again, there's a lot of issues when the whip is applied the way it has been. Uh, and it's a shame. And it's politically disadvantageous for parties as well. I mean, is Fine Gael a better place without Lucinda Creighton? I don't think so. Mm. Okay, what do you make of this idea of a citizens' convention? I, I think it has some look. I was skeptical. I was skeptical about the, the convention in the context that took on same-sex marriage, etc. Um, but it actually worked. I think it was a good exercise well, so in what democracy. It didn't work, really. it, it, pri- it delivered all this stuff, and nothing was really done about it. Well, I mean, there would have been a marriage. We had a same-sex marriage referendum. But, it, but it all, I think it opened a dialogue. I think it opened a dialogue between citizens, and I think it worked. How representative is it? That's the other big question. Well, if you look at the, there was ordinary citizens represented at the convention. Yeah, I mean, no, I was again. I was usually skeptical for all the reasons you're saying but if well, you David Quinn had a piece for example on Saturday uh, in the Irish Independent saying it wasn't remotely representative well David Quinn is going to take his own is going to take his own view and that's well, his he's prerogative back, he's actually backed up by, by one fact which is 
that on the same-sex re- referendum they voted overwhelmingly f- in, in favour of it, whereas uh, the, the referendum itself was much tighter. That would suggest it wasn't representative. Yeah, w- uh, the, 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 the margin in the marriage referendum was pretty good. It was pretty decent uh, pro, pro yes vote on, in, in that, and I think a lot higher than a lot of us expected. So the convention wasn't what way off the mark. But I think one of the things that Roisin has mentioned is that abortion is a divisive issue. And I think having a dialogue, rather than ha- letting the thing from the get-go be dominated by the two poles is a healthy step. Okay, just lastly on this, Roisin, I mean, um, you, you go back to 1983, I think we've had five abortion referendums, if mm-hmm. you include the three, mm-hmm. in, in 1992. This one, arguably, might be the most bitter and the most divisive yet, because I think in this one, you are literally talking about... Um, you know, le- in the other ones it was about copper fastening safeguards mm-hmm. this is about potentially legislating for abortion albeit in, in, certain, in, re- in certain circumstances yeah that's true but at the same time you know I think the public opinion has shifted very significantly on this I mean, I'm, I'm very surprised I must say at how quickly it has shifted and it's certainly now coming up for the first time in my experience as an election issue it is coming up on the doorsteps um, and I think there's a lot of younger people in, people in particular, and I agree it's a totally different issue to the, the marriage equality referendum, but there's a lot of younger people that are saying, look, let's stop dodging these issues. Well, young let's, people let's, are let's much more likely to be instinctively yeah. pro-choice, not exclusively, but much more likely than... Yeah, but uh, you don't even have generation. to go to an extreme of pro-choice. It's, look, let's deal with this. We have a, a situation that is untenable at the moment and let's stop dodging it. Let's deal with it. And as I say, you know, <coughs> no change can take place at the moment with the current uh, constitutional restriction. So, you know, at a very basic level, the whole question of fatal fetal abnormality, the vast majority of people yeah. say... <coughs> couldn't you know it's it's wrong to put somebody through a situation like that where they have to travel over to the UK in those circumstances so you know it, have we a right to impose our views on somebody who finds themselves in that situation and in order to bring about any change there has to be a constitutional amendment and that's why I'd say it would be much better if the Taoiseach had given leadership on this you know and the media are talking about this being a master stroke now you know let's stop a b- well I think they're quoting Fine Yes, exactly. They they are. So, you know, it's about the issue, not about, you know, the the political cuteness of it. This is an issue which is a very live issue. It needs to be dealt with and it needs to be dealt with in a a sensible way. And as I say, my concern is that if it's left in the hands of politicians to do that, politicians will come come Mm -hmm. under huge pressure and and (coughs) we won't get, I think. I just just want to make the quick point that the reason that this has surfaced in the paper, the reason why you had these heated meetings is because the conventional wisdom that is that abortion is not a general election issue uh, I think that's going to go out the window this election I think it is going to be an issue and the politicians know it and that's why it's in the papers last quick (coughs) excuse me (coughs) last quick question my voice is going sorry last quick question to all of you in 10 years time what will the Welcome back to the Sunday show, Shane Coleman, with you until very noon today. We're joined to in studio uh, going through the Sunday papers by Roisin Shortall, Jim Callaghan and, and Larry Donnelly. An interesting lead story in the Sunday Business Post. The headline is Bonanza, tax take surges ten years time. My own view is that just looking at it as a way society is developing, that probably in ten years time we will have a less restrictive formula in place to deal with abortion. I still don't believe, however, that we will have abortion demand in 
it all sounds especially like the that, kind of thing we would be talking about if we were in the studio 10 or 12 yeah, years ago. I'm inclined to agree with that. I don't think there is a desire to have a voice in any land in this country. But certainly the present situation is not tenable. Again, we have a story that will remove the eighth good news. I think that will be repealed. Describing the tax legislation out of this Yeah, I would tend to agree with both Roisin and Jim. It's again with very little analysis abortion regime in Ireland um, is. And well they, they are out of this world I mean, they are extraordinary ok but you know okay. why has this right. happened uh, we'll and what are we see. going uh, to do we'll with take it? a short break I'm going to try the, and kill this the analysis that's uh, required throat, my apologies. Th- there is a very Back good a piece in the Sunday Independent or sorry in the Sunday Times by Conor Brady who's talking about how the government is going to proceed now that we've turned the corner in the economy tax receipts are very healthy and what are we going to do? And we're seeing now where the Taoiseach is promising to cut the USC, um, describing it as a bad tax. Um, playing, I suppose, to the lowest common denominator in relation to tax. Mm-hmm. And the big danger is that the government is going to undermine the, the um, tax base. Narrow the tax country. base, which is Narrow one of the, the mistakes of the, of the boom. And, you know, that's on the one side. It's auction politics, trying to buy votes in the, in the upcoming election. And on the other side, we have the real world, what's actually going on in the country, where we have huge crises in a number of different areas, obviously in the whole housing area, in the health service, uh, in relation to children's services. Last night I was at a function in my constituency in Kennedy's in Drumcondra. It was an event for the Capuchin Day Centre, a fundraiser. And I was talking to people there um, who work in the Capuchin Day Centre and they were saying that they're now providing 800 dinners every day. They also do breakfasts in the morning. And they've in recent weeks, they've started doing an earlier uh, meal. They're providing soup and sandwiches at six, six o'clock in the morning for people who are actually living on the streets in this awful weather. Now, that's the real Ireland that's there. And there's a huge level of need. And again, somebody <coughs> said to me last night, Fine Gael aren't interested remotely in the bottom 10%. Okay. And I think that's what it's about. It just, we just have huge on problems. The Social Democrats, uh, do you favour the retention of USC? Or well, look, what we're that? saying is that we shouldn't be undermining the tax base. Okay. What we should but you're do happy is to abolish water charges, though. Well, that's a different matter, and I'm quite happy to, to discuss that yeah. with you, if you wish, because there isn't much point in having a charge where it costs more to bring in the charge okay. th- than you're actually collecting. But on the, the tax base, look, there is a huge level of need right across our public services. There's half a million people on, on hospital waiting lists. You know, there's huge numbers of people waiting for housing. In the last, uh, during the recession, the number of children in consistent poverty has doubled. Okay. There's about 140,000 children. Well, you, no, you know, I just think it's really important ah, yeah, no, to point, think yeah. about that. Yeah. 140,000 children living in consistent poverty. You know, that's the reality of life in Ireland today. And it's not just about those people that are so badly affected by poverty. It's about other people as well who are saying, is this really the kind of country okay. we want to be living in? All right, Jim O'Callaghan. Well, it's, it's obvious that current government economic policy is being driven by one factor, that is the election. Yeah, never do that kind of thing. Of course. Well, but they may have done it. Fianna Fáil may have done that 10 years ago, but prior to the last election, Fianna Fáil put the country first and put forward a plan that put this country back on stable economic footing. The government at present is putting forward plans that are about one thing and one thing only, 
buying the election through trying to buy votes. And it's dangerous for a couple of reasons. First of all, you know, there's an assumption that the uh, global recession is over and that we're not going to face any choppy waters in the future. I think that's a very naive assumption. If you look what's happening around the world, if you look at the commodity countries, if you look at the slump in China, some people think we're going to face into another global recession. And that's something that we have to be prepared for in this country, because as a country of our size, we're very dependent and influenced by what happens globally. According to the Fiscal Council last week, we are the most volatile economy in the developed world. In other words, we're most open to international events of any country of, in the of world. Of course we are. And like we, we shouldn't need the fiscal policy t- or fiscal council to tell us that. And they also stated that the government's plans at present are a deviation from prudent policy. We could have a downturn in global events in the next year or so. And where are we going to be faced? We're going to be faced in a situation where... But you'd where be doing exactly the same thing if you were in Well, government. I don't Isn't think... No, that's uh, a depressing reality? Can I say this to you? We were faced with an economic crisis in 2010, which was an enormous yeah, economic crisis. Yeah, we're great crisis. at crisis management in this country, but it's when the good times roll in that we, we lose our heads, isn't it? Well, I just don't think the good times are here to the same extent as the government thinks the good times are here. And as well as that, if the good times are here, let's spend our money on trying to deal with issues like uh, the people who are being admitted to hospitals on trolleys. Up the first 10 months of this year, in 2015, 80,000 people who've been admitted to hospital have been admitted on hospital trolleys. 8,000 in the month of October. That they're the issues that the government should be dealing with rather than trying to buy an election. Larry Donnelly, I'm in danger of losing all my friends because I went around last week telling everyone they have to read just the opening part of the Fiscal Advisory Council's report because I actually think it's the most frightening thing you, Mm. you can read anywhere because they're basically saying we are doing exactly Exactly what we did 12 yeah. years ago. And you know the other point is though, Fine Gael support has gone up by three or four yeah. points since the budget. So like we, the, the voters, have to stand up and take responsibility. We can't just blame political parties. You, you, you took the words out of my mouth. Uh, I suppose the first thing is to say is that we, we welcome the growth in, in the, the economy, but at the same time, uh, inequality is a huge issue here, uh, as Roisin has pointed out. But you're absolutely right, Shane. Uh, the fact is we as a, as a people are good at blaming politicians for everything uh, and saying that they, you know, this party wrecked the country, this party did this, etc. But at the end of the day, we have to look in the mirror. And who are we going to vote for in the coming months? And are we going to say... Are we going to vote for people who uh, who are pursuing fiscally irresponsible policies? And if we do, then it's our fault. It's not anybody else's fault. It's the electorate's fault. Now, I know you're a lawyer rather than an economist, but these bumper tax returns, they seem to be driven by corporation taxes, uh, and nobody is quite sure if they are sustainable. 15 years ago or 10 years ago, we had these bumper profits coming mm. from the property sector. We now know they weren't sustainable. They fell off a cliff overnight, and we had a $20 billion hole in the in the budget. Is are we? Is there a real danger that this could happen this time around? I, it's a good question, but I mean, I, I suppose the the take I would have is, you know, both uh, domestic companies and multinationals, uh, they're coming here, they have very strong, solid presences here, and they, did, and they seem determined to stay, and it, it seems that we read about new multinationals coming all the time and creating jobs, so I think it's a relatively stable tax base. I think, I think it's probably uh, more, st- more stable than, uh, I suppose, when all the tax revenue was coming from property, etc., um, so I would be r- relatively optimistic on that front. Roshan Shortel, as a, a leader of a new political party, is it remotely credible that you would go to the voters at the next election? and say, you know what, there's actually, you know, we're, we're going to keep things really, really tight in terms of increased spending, but any money we do spend will just go on health or on housing and we're not going to cut taxes. Is that remotely sustainable in terms of winning votes, do you think? Well, that's what the Social Democrats are doing. 
we're saying that we believe in having a different model of politics um, where we have a country that actually has good services and we believe that but, it, you, but I mean you're, you know, you're playing politics on water charges for example I have to bring it back you don't believe in, in you, you want a Scandinavian type system but you don't, you don't pay for water well that. as I said to you earlier Shane we don't <coughs> see any point in having a, a water tax system where it's costing more to collect the okay, tax so bring in than one you're that, actually bring bringing in one in. that d- doesn't cost more well, to collect yeah you don't do that in the context of a situation where people are already squeezed with additional <coughs> charges and you know, people have come through a very rough time. But what we're saying is that we want to try and build a society that is about including people, that is about a new republic that has decent public services, that we can be proud of the country yeah, that we have. It's a wonderful narrative. I, the question I'm asking you though is how do you pay it's for that? Achievable. And, and can you actually sell that to the people? Well, my, my point is that message. it's achievable. And you look at the Northern European countries where they've done that. You look at a lot of, of, of uh, middle European countries as well where they have high quality public Public services, and you know, would they you say? Sorry to cut across you, but would you say? I mean, can you say emphatically? You know, if we're in the next government, we won't use that surge in corporation tax revenues yes. until we're a hundred percent sure it is a sustainable increase. We are saying very clearly that our priority is to build our our society here, and you do that by ensuring that when people need health services, they're available; that you have a decent functioning health service. When people ha- need housing, that that housing is available. And, you know, I'd put it to you that what the Fine Gael are doing is trying to appeal to the lowest common denominator and saying, look, vote for us and we'll put money back in your pocket. And I'd put it to you, what is the point in having an extra 10 or 20 euro a week in your pocket if your children can't get access to okay. speech and language therapy? <coughs> if your elderly mother is looking, you know, to, to, to get into a nursing home or needs home help services and they're not available. It's about the kind of country we want to be living in and how we go about creating that kind of inclusive country. Okay, lots of text coming through. Uh, <coughs> one listener says, "Excuse me." One listener says, "So ten percent growth is, <coughs> excuse me, the ten percent growth is a bad thing." And it's not that it's a bad thing; it's the danger is that we lose the run of ourselves again. John says, "So Dr. Riley lost his position for being a bad health minister." This implies we've had good ones. Last good one seems to have been Dr. Brown on the mother and baby scheme. That's going back a long way. It didn't it? Didn't end too well either. Um, Larry Donnelly, let's move on to uh, another uh, minister. A uh, story about uh, AK-47, as he's um, fondly known in the Labour Party, Alan Kelly. He's in trouble with his colleagues, it would seem. Just give us a flavour yes, of what the, the Sunday... The Sarah sto- McInerney has the story in the yes, Sunday Times. Yes, Sarah McInerney's story on the front page of the Sunday Times uh, to the effect that uh, Alan Kelly has... Ale- is, it's alleged, anyway, that he has leaked uh, negative constituency polls about some of his potential uh, Labour Party leadership rivals. Uh, it's a very, very serious allegation, I think, to, to be and leveled. And one, in fairness, we, that his spokesman is denying, absolutely. Vociferously denying, yes, but uh, it, this certainly... Uh, Alan Kelly has a lot of enemies and he's made a lot of enemies. In fact, uh, in terms of politicians, I find it hard to recall one who seems to be uh, as disliked as by so many people as Alan Kelly seems to be. Uh, and this certainly will not hurt, will not help his standing one bit. Roisin, do you dislike Alan Kelly? Uh, I, I don't know him especially well, I have to say. It's but yes. <laughs> a long pause <laughs> but there. I, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you what, I don't like the kind of, you know, crony politics that he's engaged in. 
and we've seen stories. Is that fair? You know, well, I, I think it is fair. I mean, he's 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 bypassing any proper procedures in relation to the spending of money across a whole lot of different programs. He wouldn't be the first in, politician it, to do that. Now. Yeah, but let's get away from that. You know, I mean, again, we were promised new politics. We were promised a transparent and accountable way of doing things, and we just see this is old style politics again that, mm. that he engages in. Do you, and think, do you, you know, think the kind of figures in, the, in that poll, do you think Labour are on course to lose that number of seats? I think it's suggesting tw- well over 20 seats. Yeah, I, I think they're in serious difficulty and you know there, there's serious trouble in the camp obviously and there's a lot of jockeying for position and I think you know the kind of suggestion that's, it, that's in Sarah McInerney's story in the Sunday Times doesn't surprise me at all because when people get desperate they do desperate things and okay. uh, it's, um, Jim it's not very edifying. Well, Jim McCallan, ministers spending money without kind of uh, getting the, the, the go-ahead from civil servants and, and leaking stories to the media. Fianna Fáil ministers would never engage in that kind of carry-on, should they, wouldn't You're absolutely correct, Shane. <laughs> <laughs> but listen, first of all, I don't know Alan Kelly, so I have no personal views on the man one way or the other. But the article is a very serious allegation, as Larry said. He's the deputy leader of the Labour Party. It's we, we should say, just in fairness, because yeah, he he, he's not he here probably to denies it in fairness Inevitably, in, in these kind of stories, the person everyone points the finger at for leaking a story, inevitably it turns out not to be them. Yeah, and we that should may say be that. True. In fairness to him, that may be true. But what is true uh, is that, and this is apparent from the article in the Sunday Times, there's obviously a battle going on between TDs within the Labour Party as who's going to be the next leader of the Labour Party after the next election. That Which battle remi- little, little it like reminds it. me a bit, I don't know if histor- historians may be interested in this, it reminds me of the battle in April 1945 as to who was going to succeed Adolf Hitler as leader of the Third Reich. There was a battle between Martin Bormann and Heinrich Himmler and Admiral Donitz. Not, not that we're Admiral comparing. Donitz. Not no, that we're comparing. The Labour Party. But what yeah. I'm trying to refer it's to is the fact party. that there's going to be a serious upheaval for the Labour Party in the next election. The uh, Irish electorate, in my opinion, have made their mind up on the Labour Party, and the idea that people are battling to see who's going to be the next leader is a bit nonsensical. You know, Alan Kelly may end up like Admiral Donitz. Okay. All right. You're listening to the Sunday show. Our guests are Roshan Shortwell, Jim O'Callaghan, and Larry Donnelly. We'll be back after this short break. Welcome back to the Sunday show. Shane Coleman with you until noon today. Uh, my guests are Social Democrat TD and Joint Leader Roshan Shortall, Fianna Fáil candidate for Dublin Bay South, uh, Jim O'Callaghan, and NUI Galway Law Lecturer uh, Larry Donnelly. Okay. I've got a question for you guys. Can any of you name the new heavyweight champion of the world? No, he was beaten last night. Goes to show how times have changed. Britain's Tyson Fury Tyson pulled Fury, off one of the great say. boxing upsets uh, as he outpointed Klitschko to become a heavyweight champion of the world. Larry, I, I thought you might get that one because I had this image of you sort of back in the 70s staying up till 3 o'clock in the morning to watch Muhammad Ali in the rumble <laughs> in the jungle or whatever. No, but no, times, times have changed times dramatically. Have, times have changed. I suppose I was always more a Rocky Balboa fan. Yeah, there was a time, I think, when every schoolboy <laughs> knew who the heavyweight champion yeah. of the world. Now it isn't. Anyway, listen, uh, we'll move on. Um, Roshi, I just wanted to ask you, an interesting story in the Sunday Times today, uh, page 7 of the Sunday Times, about doctors warning about the, uh, too much use of Calpol for kids. I just, As if a former uh, health minister, I thought you, you might have an interesting view on that. Yeah, exp- the doctor here, um, Dr. Sutcliffe, expressing concern about the overuse of Calpol and the potential damage that that does to children's livers. Um, now, at the same time, Ray Wally of the IMO is quoted and he doesn't see a major issue there. But I do think that we have an, a problem in this country with the overuse of medication, uh, generally speaking, and uh, particularly in relation to children. I think 
probably too often parents are too quick to reach for some medication if a child is not sleeping or is bothered in some way. I just think we all need to be much more cautious about that. And I think particularly in relation to children's medication, there is a need for greater education on it. Okay, Um, Jim O'Callaghan. Yeah, I agree with Roshan, who says, as a country, we use far too many uh, medicines, you know, like people should be able to recover. Like, I hope to deal with your cough, Shane, you're not going to go off <laughs> and take antibiotics or something like that. You just need to rest and get them. I'm not a medic, mind you, but we are too dependent upon medicine. I think it's, uh, yeah, I can understand why parents have done it. We've all given kids Calpol because you're concerned about the kid and sometimes it makes the kid sleep easier and stuff like that but it is a dangerous trend and like the, I think the figures for antidepressants in Ireland as well are enormous you know Very high, yeah. we need to get off uh, people need to realise that we need to try to resolve medical issues in the first instance by not automatically reverting to prescriptions or medication in the first instance Okay, we, while we're talking about health Larry Donnelly, we should mention I suppose during the week uh, the uh, universal health insurance was finally laid to rest by the government I, mean, I think I'm right in saying they fought the last general election campaign, Fine Gael, uh, and Labour uh, basically saying that this was going to be a key plank of their policy for the next five years. It has now been finally uh, buried, basically. Yeah, for, well, first I want to say to, to little Larry at home, I'm sorry I gave you so much cow <laughs> uh, so, Second, uh, second, Secondly, in terms of universal health insurance, and again, uh, health policy is an extremely complicated area, and I'm not even going to try for a second to, to, pr- to pretend I know a lot about it. But what I will say is that the people who, to do, who were experts uh, from the very beginning uh, kept saying that this isn't going to work, that this hasn't been costed properly or costed fully, uh, and it's just not going to happen for a variety of different reasons. Uh, And these same people were not very surprised uh, when, in fact, the whole thing kind of fell apart uh, in the end. But it does lead lead the question, and one of the things that always struck me, uh, you know, coming from the states where we have, uh, don't have a great health system, we have tremendous inequality in it. Uh, If you have health care, you have great health care. If you don't, you're in very big trouble. Um, But at the same time, all of these countries in the world that do have a functioning uh, effect public health care system and we don't and I find uh, ever since I've been here it's one of the strange things uh, that I get I mean I have health insurance but sometimes I use it sometimes I don't uh, depending on the circumstances Are you saying our health system isn't as bad as we think it is? I think oh no I'm, I'm, I'm saying the contrary I'm saying it's quite I'm saying that it's quite bad I mean in terms of uh, you know it's complicated it, does, it doesn't make sense if we look at waiting times and all the, the horror stories that we hear on a regular basis and again the, you know we, we have a, there's an incident and an incident happens in this public outcry, and then it seems to go away until the next incident. Okay, uh, Roisin Shortle, you, you were somebody who favoured universal health insurance, I think I'm right in saying, aren't I? Well, uh, a state system of it, I suppose there was a bit of a fudge between the yeah. Labour Party and Fine Gael in relation to the programme for government. Um, the kind of model that Fine Gael were talking about, where um, the entire health service would be run through the insurance companies, was not a sustainable model. Okay. I mean, we spend about 19 billion on health in this country um, between taxpayers' money and, and uh, privately. Um, and James Riley's idea that all of that 19 billion would be channeled through the insurance companies. It was a crazy idea because the insurance companies You're not obviously. A fan of James Riley, are you? Well, <laughs> sorry. <it's> <laughs> <laughs> it, it, let's call him the Minister for Health at the uh, time. It's yeah. not a personal thing by any means. The policy just didn't stack up. You know, the idea of putting that 19 billion through the insurance companies, where the insurance companies have to take their margins, would have resulted in us having to pay much more for a health service. <coughs> and, you know, what we need to do is what Larry was saying there. We need to develop a 
properly functioning public health service that serves the needs of all of our citizens in this country and most other countries have that. Mm. I don't buy this thing about Angola and everybody kind of avoiding health. Nobody wants to go into wanting to go into the Department of Health. There is no reason why we can't have a properly functioning okay. health service. You know, one of the main things that needs to be done is that the various vested interests that are very strong in health need to be faced down. But Easier said than done. Well, you know, you need the political will to do that and stop being under a compliment to the big pharma companies or the insurance companies or the private hospitals or the consultants. Or the nursing they unions. Or the or nursing or unions, yeah. exactly. And, and you know... that's a tougher battle to fight with well, the public. that needs to be challenged and needs to be taken on. So it's about designing a health service that actually meets okay. the needs, that, that puts equality Jim, at, yeah. at its core. Universal Health Insurance was introduced by Fine Gael for one purpose, and that was to assist them prior to the last election. They had the five-point plan, and the plan in respect of health was going to be universal health insurance. It was a gimmick before the last election. Everyone knew it wasn't going to withstand any scrutiny. And eventually now they've got rid of it and dropped it. And in fact, I think the reaction to dropping of such a major plank of the government's policy is quite extraordinary. Minister Varadkar announced this about two weeks ago, and there seems to have been very little coverage of it. You know, Minister Varadkar, I must say, he's got a remarkable skill to get great publicity from the media. Mm. No matter what he announces, he's presiding over a health system that's in chaos with 80,000 people being admitted on trolleys in the first 10 months of this year. And he seems to be just a commentator in respect of the health system in the country. Well, and he doesn't seem to, your, and he doesn't seem to get any of, negative criticism. What's your assessment, of Leo Varadkar? He's, what, he's a year and a half, I think, into the job. Yeah, well, I, I certainly agree with the point that Jim made there. He is acting as a commentator rather than a minister. And he seems to be saying, you know, this is nothing to do with me. And he came up with a crackpot plan, I think, during the week where he talked about in order to deal with the, the trolley crisis in our A&Es, he's talking about this escalation plan so that hospitals are going to be fined unless they have they free up beds. Now that can only mean two things. The first is that people who are waiting a long time for procedures will have those procedures cancelled and we're on track to cancel far more procedures this year than last year. About 600 operations are being cancelled every single week. Now, you know, when you think about that, the impact of that on people. But the other thing is that it will mean people being turned away from hospitals and sent back home when they have, you know, possibly a life-limiting condition. Okay. And that isn't a solution to anything. You know, this is about getting, about Leo Varadkar getting from here to the election and and um, trying to keep the lid on things in the Department of Health. It's not possible to do that. There is no plan. There's a serious crisis there at the moment. And the worst feature of it is that the government has no plan B on it at all. OK, well, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Roisin Shortle, to Jim O'Callaghan and to Larry Donnelly. After the break, we're going to be taking a look at what's making the headlines on the back pages of the newspaper. Stay with us on the Sunday show.